Episode 81 United Nations Office for Outer Space Affairs with its director, Simonita Di Pipo. Ensuring the peaceful uses of outer space has been the primary objective of the United Nations Outer Space Treaty established in 1968. This interview, recorded during October 2018 at the International Aeronautical Congress in Bremen, Germany, we covered several themes. Did you know that there is a publicly available register that records every object launched into Earth orbit and beyond? Maintaining this register is one of United Nations Office for Outer Space Affairs' remit. Its flagship program is the United Nations Platform for Space-Based Information for Disaster Management and Emergency Response, in short, UN-SPIDER, established in 2006. Through this program, the UN supports emergency disaster management at any time, anywhere around the globe. Through international consensus, United Nations Office for Outer Space Affairs promulgates the principles of the Outer Space Treaty and fosters international cooperation in the use and exploration of space. In this interview, we covered two specific examples. The first, the United Nations Office for Outer Space Affairs has assisted the Japanese Space Agency to promote small satellite projects from developing nations, for example, United Arab Emirates, Guatemala, Mauritius and Indonesia, to have some level of space presence. In a separate initiative, the United Nations Office for Outer Space Affairs played an important role in the China National Space Agency's announcement opportunity to host international payloads aboard the Chinese space station. A total of 36 proposals were received. A selection process is now underway. Simonita Dipipo, you are the director of the UN Office for Outer Space Affairs. What does UNUSA's remit? Um, the Office for Outer Space Affairs at the United Nations is, um, is an office of the Secretariat. Uh, and uh, we have uh, the main mandate to bring the benefits of uh, space, mm -hmm. space activities, uh, to humankind. Which means everywhere, everyone. Uh, and we do that essentially promoting international cooperation between the various stakeholders and partners. So, in a way, you can consider us as a sort of a broker. So we have a huge network uh, of experts in all over the countries. Um, in particular, we focus on emerging and developing countries, but we have really quite a broad, uh, quite a broad uh, network. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we really uh, strive to, to try to bring the benefit in terms of space research, technology, application services uh, to everyone. Uh, also to improve the quality of life of citizens in those countries. That's a pretty big goal. 
your arrival in this position, did you have an interest in space beforehand? Did you? I always been a space business. Uh, I am an astrophysicist by education. Uh, then in '87, I joined the Italian Space Agency. I had several important roles. Uh, in the last few years, I was the director for space science program, uh, including also exploration program. In 2008, I joined uh, the European Space Agency as director in the space flight. Uh, then I went back to the Italian Space Agency for a couple of years as the director of the office that uh, the Italian Space Agency opened with me in Brussels. So I moved a little bit on the political side of, of space activities. And then in March 2014, I got this position as director of the so eminently qualified for this. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm aware of the Committee on Peaceful Uses of Outer Space. What's the connection between the UN Outer Space Office and uh, um, COPUS? Um, okay, as, as you correctly said, uh, the Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space, COPUS, uh, is the biggest and oldest uh, committee in the world um, dealing with space matters. It, the parent organization of the committee is the General Assembly, and currently we have 87 members, and we have five more uh, additional applications this year for uh, other members. So we expect that by the end of the year we will have 92 members in the committee. By members you mean countries? Yeah. So how many members then? They are pretty much everybody, isn't it? Um, in reality, the Office for Outer Space Affairs, also to, to answer your previous question, we serve as the secretariat of uh, the committee. So we prepare the document, we call for the meeting, we run the meetings, etc. But uh, we also serve the entire family of the UN. So okay. while in, in our function as secretariat of the committee, mm -hmm. we clearly serve the member states, which are members of the committee. Our technical activities, which means capacity building, being the collector of interests, and then, I mean, connecting the dots, is at the service of the entire UN family, which means the 193 member states. Because we have this double role. So on one side, we serve the committee, um, and on the other side, we serve the entire family. Yes. One of the um, roles of UNUSA uh, is uh, to maintain the United Nations registers of objects launched into outer space. Right. So just about everything that goes up into space should have an entry on the UN register. Correct. Um, how is that? What's the compliance like on that? It's working quite well. Uh, it's based on the registration convention. Um, the launching state, um, after uh, when they launch a satellite, mm -hmm. uh, they usually send us an official uh, notification uh, with certain information, and we uh, make uh, usually a check of this information, and then we publish on the register, so we include this information in the register, and uh, we register everything. So everything you want to know about satellites since the beginning of the space era, not only satellites, but also space modules, for example, of the International Space Station or, uh, or uh, landers on, on other planets, whatever, right. everything is registered in our register.
for example, intervene in the emergency phase um, in order to coordinate better, so we include the space segment in the coordination of the emergency situations. So it's, it's quite interesting also the fact that we've been developing now 22 regional support offices. Um, we have 22 agreements in place with uh, various organizations which are distributed all over the world. These are usually civil protection entities uh -huh. with, with which we have agreements. So we know that if in a certain region there is an issue, a disaster that we have to intervene, we have also a link with, uh, with the local uh, say, entity. Yeah. So we have a very huge network. And even there are other topics like space weather, for example, or um, also protection of a planetary defense yeah. in the case of an asteroid potentially yeah. impacting the surface of the Earth. We are thinking about using this network that we have of regional support offices eventually to, uh, to be used also for other potential hazards for, for the Earth. I didn't realize that, uh, that it covered so far into planetary protection and space weather. But just coming back to the disaster management, um, is it fair to think that the, uh, through this pro program you can help affected areas get access to space imagery to Absolutely. help them identify where the roads may be blocked, bridges not available, and get the aid required quickly, as well as perhaps ongoing weather related events? This for sure. Uh, we can also get access to images of, uh, I mean, historical images of the area in case of floods or earthquake or landslides, so that we can make the comparison. Huh? We have agreements with the private sector, space agencies in the world, so that we can get access to space images quite quickly. Mm -hmm. um, also, because depending on where, I mean, the location of the disaster, then we can get access to the, through all this network. And the, the disagreements we have, we can get access to different mm -hmm. satellites looking at the same area, mm -hmm. and so we can provide more information to the country in need. And we are growing and growing in this uh, in this uh, attempt mm -hmm. of building a sort of a global space partnership, which can really be used every time we are in need, so that the country is in need. And we can be even quicker, because the more satellite we have, the more images can have, we can have of that region. And so we have more possibilities of a satellite really in the region, I mean, covering the region when we are in need. Because, you know, satellites are orbiting, so not necessarily are in the right, uh, in the right location when we need them. So if we have access to a lot of different space infrastructures, then we can be more and more confident that we can cover just in a few hours what the country is in need with. The problem is very often in disasters, in disaster management, in the emergency response, that you need these images very quickly. And so if you are only relying on, on one constellation of satellites or a, a, a limited set of satellites, the possibility that you are really covering the, the area needed, I mean, goes really small. Instead, if you have a lot of, of satellites and infrastructures, uh, I mean, then uh, by definition, you have a higher probability to yeah. be successful. And that speed of response is so critical. Absolutely, like this. absolutely, you save lives. Last year was the 50th anniversary of the Outer Space Treaty and uh, having attended <coughs> some of the events here, 
and they've been remarkably successful. There's nobody who wants to change anything yeah. from the treaties that were established such a long time ago. How do you see what's been the success for those for the Outer Space Treaty in particular? Why is it still relevant and workable so many years on? There are several reasons. Uh, first of all, because uh, I believe they're quite the masterpiece. Yes, right? that's uh, a really good word. Yes, yeah. that's a really good word. The masterpiece in the <coughs> Outer Space Treaty. It's also true that the committee has been working a lot also through the legal subcommittee, which is one of the two subcommittees, uh, working a lot also on guidelines, mm. voluntary commitment. Um, and the, the fact that we have a mechanism yeah. such that um, member states of the committee takes decision, take decisions on the basis of consensus. So it takes a bit of time to reach consensus on guidelines, for mm -hmm. example. But when they are approved, then they become, even if they are not binding, then member states tend to follow what they agreed by consensus on. So it's really, really a good mechanism because it gives the impression that it takes time, as I said, and instead it's working very well. Clearly, you know, uh, the space uh, the space sector, and the, the, the all space, the, let's say the, the space activities together, um, is different. I mean, everything is different from what it was when we have been created by the committee and, and the Office for the Space Affairs back in 1959. <coughs> Because, you know, in 59, you were at the Soviet Union at that yes, time in the right. United States, no? Yeah. Now we have more than 70 uh -huh. countries having established a national space program and a national space agency. Um, and you have more and more emerging and developing countries interested in, in um, really in, uh, in creating space agencies because very often, and we have a few examples quite recently, when there is, for example, a university uh -huh. which wants to launch a, a, a CubeSat, so a very small satellite, uh -huh. but then the country becomes a launching state, so uh -huh. they have to register satellites. So more and more what mm -hmm. is happening is that the space agencies, the new ones, mm -hmm. are created because they have to react to something which is already happening. So, uh, and this is, for example, I don't know, the, uh, the Kenya Space Agency that was created just very recently. And the process has been triggered by a project that we have with JAXA, which is called KiboCube, where we, together with JAXA, the Japanese Space Exploration Agency, um, they uh, offered, free of charge, the possibility for a developing country uh, to develop one unit CubeSat, so 10 centimeter satellite, um, to be developed at, at, at the cost, uh, I mean, uh, the, the development cost is for the selected uh, team to take care of, but then the launch campaign, the launch itself, the deployment from the space station and the operations have been offered free of charge by JAXA. Thanks to this collaboration with us, so we did the announcement of opportunity together, and in the first round of this announcement of opportunity, we selected the University of America. So they started with this satellite, and then the government realized that they had to create a space agency. So in reality, the the country started to have to put more attention to space activities. Yes created the space agency because of a 10 centimeter CubeSat. So I'm very proud of this project because it means that even if it's, you could say it's a small drop 
yeah. in the ocean. Mm. Indeed, it's, it, it I mean, triggered a lot of activities and a lot of initiatives in the country. Mm. And a lot of the, um, <clears throat> the Outer Space Treaty as well explicitly included um, developing countries. Mm-hmm. I mean, at that time in the 60s, there's only two major space powers. Today, as you said, it's over 70. In addition to that, the increasing number of nations involved, there is now a commercial angle, which didn't exist then. How do you see these treaties um, standing up to the commercial pressures that will be arising in the next few years? What I see is that the commercial sector is really interested Mm -hmm. in being part of the family and being the position at least to express their own opinions and their own needs. So that member states, some countries, are then supporting them uh, in a proper way. So I don't see any conflict. I just see that uh, there are more stakeholders. And so that's the reason why I'm trying also to create opportunities for the various stakeholders to be together. So space agencies, uh, private sector, academia, NGOs, because so we have a lot of non-profits really interested in working in space. So why not put all of them together for discussion? The way I see it, the... Um Commercialization and increasing numbers probably require the kind of regulation and controls and rules yeah. that the UN has been saying it's required all along. So it's in everybody's interest, including the new commercial yeah. space venture. In fact, there are a lot of discussions uh, under the umbrella of the Committee on the Peaceful Users of Outer Space. And just one last thing. This week here at Bremen, we made an announcement jointly with the Chinese Manned Space Agency uh, about how they're making their Chinese space station available for international collaboration. Can you just summarize some of the things that came out of that announcement? Uh, with pleasure. Uh, this is quite an interesting agreement that we signed with CMSA. Um, is more or less in the line of what I was mentioning before with JAXA. The one with JAXA, which is still a space agency, is only, only, is for one, uh, for one unit CubeSat, while here, very year, uh, oh, even if, even if, I have to say that the project has been so successful uh, that this year we agreed and JAXA offered the possibility to open up a second opportunity. Uh, so, in fact, right. this year we announced Mauritius and Indonesia. Ah, okay. Uh, so, for the time being, we have Kenya already launched, um, Guatemala mm-hmm. uh, probably launched will be launched next year. Mm-hmm. And then this year we selected, as I said, Mauritius and Indonesia as a sort of an additional, uh, let's say, support that JAXA is yeah. So the same approach, as I said, is a good role model. We are using now for CMSA and for the utilization of the China Space Station. Clearly the situation is a bit more complex because uh, developing a payload uh, which has to work in microgravity conditions um, in, in lower orbit is a big, a little bit more complex than doing one in the CubeSat. So you, you, you can see also, you know, the the progression of, of what we are trying to do. Yeah. But the approach is the same. So CMSA is offering, uh, we issued this announcement of opportunity together. Um, the deadline was just last Sunday, so the 30th of September, and we received 36 proposals. 3-6 proposal from different countries in the world. Now we are just starting the evaluation because it was just last Sunday. 
but the system that, that the model that we have in mind is the same so CMSA will help us in selecting these payloads uh-huh. and then the payloads will be developed by the uh, the proposers but then the launch and the deployment, and the, I mean the launch of the operations, sorry, will be uh, managed by CMSA most of the time, completely free of charge. Since this is the land space program in China, are they, you're talking about individuals from different countries going on to the space station? Or is it just uh, this is, this is for the time being payloads. Uh, there is a request also coming from CMSA to eventually evaluate the possibility to fly uh, citizens from various countries in the world. Uh, we will evaluate this, this uh, opportunity. And I'm sure that uh, member states will appreciate a lot the possibility to get access to space so that uh, we can really be open and inclusive also in the the access to these technologies, research applications, which can benefit the citizens uh, on Earth. Director Simonetta Di Pippo for the Office of the Outer Space Affairs, thank you very much. for your time. I, I think the work you're doing is so critical and always has been and thank you very much indeed for, for, for doing that so well. Thank you very much for having me.